You are listening to an Elam Church Christchurch podcast. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired by the message you are about to hear. And if you're ever in Christchurch, why don't you pop in and say hello? We'd love to connect. Awesome, cool. Hey guys, yeah, as Joel said, my name is Chrissy. I'm from the Burnside campus. I run Oxygen over there. Um, and also, as you just said, I finished three years at Elam Leadership College. And I did the first two years up at Hastings Elam um, in the North Island. And then I moved to Christchurch to do my final year, um, quite simply because Pastor Phil asked me to. Um, and I said yes. Um, I'm the youngest of five kids, and I am the biggest mama's girl and family-oriented person you will ever meet. Um, so moving away from them was really, really hard. Um, but it's so exciting to be in Christchurch because now I get opportunities to share God's word with more of our Elam Fano, um, and sharing God's word is always exciting. So this morning we're going to be focusing on Luke 1 verse 26 to 38, which is the story of Gabriel telling Mary that she's going to get pregnant and give birth to Jesus. Before I read it out, I want to clarify that I know this is typically a Christmas message or the Christmas story, right? But really, it's a story of God moving and of miracles happening, which I would like to think happens all year round. Also, this is the beginning of a new and exciting journey for Mary, which I think works quite nicely for a new year as well. So the title for today's message is New Year, New Me, Same God. So I'm just going to start by reading them out. Starting in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Then Mary asked what I think at this point is quite a reasonable question. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? I feel like that's pretty fair to ask. The angel then answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now, most of us would have heard that story before. And I know that I've not only read it a million times, I've also heard a million sermons on it as well, talking about the incredible faith that Mary had in this incredible moment of the foretelling of the birth of Jesus. And I'm not going to stand up here and say those things aren't true. But as I was reading these verses, something else jumped out at me that I'd never really thought about in regards to this story before. In verse 37, we read that no word from God will ever fail. And it hit me that the foretelling of Jesus and then his birth and then his life, he is living proof that God is a God that keeps his promises. It got me thinking not only about promises in the Bible, but also promises that God has given me. Now, I want to suggest here that often promises go by a different name in the Bible. We often read them as prophecies. Now, there are times when these two things are different, but in the life of Jesus, they're often the same. 
Now, there were a lot of prophecies that the coming Messiah, about the coming Messiah, sorry, that Jesus would ultimately fulfill. In fact, he fulfilled over 300 of them, with some theologians believing that he fulfilled as many as 574 of them. That is a lot of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled or promises that God kept. Now, people much smarter than me have worked out that the odds of someone fulfilling only eight of these prophecies is one in 10 followed by 16 zeros. I don't even know what you would call that number. Any mathematician here know? I don't know how, to, how you get up that far. But, right, 10 followed by 16 zeros. And then the odds of someone fulfilling 48 of these prophecies is 1 in 10 followed by 157 zeros. But how crazy is it that Jesus fulfilled at least 300? 300 is the minimum that he fulfilled. And if I was much smarter than I am, then I would have tried to work out the odds in some crazy long number with some insane amount of zeros. Um, but I thought I'd leave to that to the people that know what they're doing. But we cannot dispute the fact that Jesus fulfilling as many prophecies as he did is not living proof that God keeps his promises. I don't know what you're going through this New Year's. I don't know what the first week of 2024 has held for you. But I want to tell you that no word from God will ever fail. He's not done with you yet. And he will keep his promises. I want to dive into just a couple of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled and the promises that God kept. The first one is proof that God keeps the small promises. One of the prophecies is that the Messiah will have no bones broken. Now here God is saying, I promise to you that your Messiah will never break a bone. Now, I've broken eight bones in my life, so that already counts me out. So, but... (laughs) just good for you guys to know I'm not the Messiah. (laughs) But if I was the prophet writing this one down, I probably would have had to question God a little bit. Not only because based on my track record is it incredibly easy to break a bone, but also because it seems so tiny, so minuscule in the grand scheme of the Messiah. Like, was it really necessary to write down the Messiah's future medical history? Like, if I was that prophet, I probably would have been like, you sure good? You you got anything else for me, literally anything else for me. You want me to say this. But then we see in the story of Jesus' crucifixion that, boy, was it a big promise that God kept. Something that you may or may not know is that when people were crucified, it often took days for them to die. And in order to speed that process along a little bit, the soldiers would break the legs of those hanging there so that they couldn't push themselves up to breathe and they would ultimately suffocate. However, we read that Jesus died in about six hours, so he didn't, he didn't have to have his legs broken. And I don't know if you're following my train of thought here, but this is kind of sounding like a promise being kept right now. Some people think that Jesus was tortured so much beforehand, and that's why he died so quickly. While others believe that the weight and burden of all human sin was too much for his body to take. Now, both of those points hold merit, and I'm not saying that they're wrong, but I would like to think that even in his darkest moment, while he couldn't even look, God was keeping his promise. 
So to me, what seemed like such a small prophecy turned into a huge promise. What seemed insignificant would turn out to hold great importance. So this morning, can this promise remind you of your small promise? Maybe God promised you something that seemed small and insignificant. Maybe you thought to yourself, was that really worth mentioning? Or maybe you've completely forgotten about it altogether because it seemed so unnecessary to remember. But I want to urge you to pray and to hold on to it. I don't know what promises God has given to each of you, but this New Year's, I want to remind you that no word from God will ever fail He cares about the small. He cares about the insignificant. Something you should know about me is that I can't get through a sermon without quoting a song, right? So here's a song lyric for you. It's from a song called Manger Throne by Phil Wickham, and it says this. You could have marched in all your glory into the heart of Rome, showed them splendor like they'd never known. But you wrote a better story in humble Bethlehem, creator in the arms of common men. It then goes on to call Jesus the king who reigns from a manger throne. Now, for those that don't know, the manger is a feeding trough for the barn animals, and that is where the Messiah was placed. See, God had the power to send the Messiah wrapped in full robes to take over the kings and the empires, but instead he chose to send him wrapped in cloth and laid in a feeding trough. If you want to talk about small and insignificant, this is it. What the world saw as just another baby, we now see as the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, the one who would die for our redemption, the one who even caused us to be able to be here today. All from a feeding trough. All from a manger throne. God hasn't forgotten your small promise. There is still good to come. Can I encourage you to hold on to hope for the small this new year? So we also then get other prophecies that are a little different to that one, and they show us that God keeps the big promises. In Isaiah 7 verse 14, we're told that the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. God here is promising that the Messiah will be born of a virgin. Now, if I was the one writing this down, I probably would have questioned God again, right? Not because it seemed small and insignificant, but because it seemed literally impossible, right? A virgin giving birth defies all science and all logic. Now, I love and trust God so much, but if he had said that to me, I probably would have thought he was joking. One of the other prophecies similar to this one is that the Messiah would be born of a woman. And in my brain, that makes sense. That makes scientific sense. It checks out. But then you add on the virgin part and all of a sudden you lost me. Like I was following with the woman, but then the virgin part doesn't make sense. It def- now, I'm sure, I don't need to say why a virgin giving birth defies all science and logic and doesn't make sense. I'm sure we can probably all figure out why that's the case. But then in the story that we read in Luke, we can see God keeping his promise, even though it doesn't make sense. It seems impossible. It defies all science. It defies all logic. Even Mary questions it. But God shows up and is keeping his promise once again. 
where we read an unobtainable prophecy, God keeps an incredible promise. And again, I don't know what promises God has given you, but maybe you're sitting there with a huge promise, with a promise that seems impossible, it seems unobtainable, maybe it defies logic, maybe it defies science, and you've been left feeling a little hopeless that God won't keep this promise. I want to tell you that the birth of Jesus says otherwise. The birth of Jesus is proof that God keeps the big promises. He not only cares about the small, but he is there for the big. God doesn't give you a promise and then lay in bed at night wondering, oh, was that too big? How am I going to fulfill that one? Right? He's not up there worrying and overthinking everything. Believe me, I really want you to hear this. He had the solution before you even had the promise. Can I encourage you to hold on to hope for the big this new year? And in case you thought I was only going to quote one song, here's another. There's a song <laughs> by Elevation called More Than Able, and it starts off by saying this. When did I start to forget all of the great things you did? When did I throw away faith for the impossible? How did I start to believe you weren't sufficient for me? Why do I talk myself out of seeing miracles? And this song really hits me every time I listen to it because it makes me think of all the promises that God is waiting to fulfill, but I'm refusing to let him, or all the promises that he has fulfilled and I'm refusing to see. Maybe I'm the only one here that thinks this way, but when the promise seems too big, I talk myself out of believing it will happen and I lose my expectancy so this year, can I encourage you to stay expectant? Now, we've already had one plug for small groups, but I'm going to talk about my small group very soon, and I highly encourage you, if you're not already in a small group, get in one. Get involved. They are truly the best. They will challenge you. They will grow you. They will stretch you, especially if you're in one with like a prophetic leader, right? <laughs> They'll do nothing but grow and stretch you. But anyway, I was a small group towards the end of last year, and we got onto the topic of patience. We were asked whether we had more patience for circumstances or for people. I said that I'll often have more patience for circumstances because I use up all my patience for people at work or oxygen. For those that don't know, I'm an early childhood teacher. Um, so I work with two-year-olds all day. They use a lot of patience. And then I go to oxygen with teenagers, and they use just as much patience. Um, <laughs> but then the topic changed a little bit, and I talked about having patience for promises. I told the group that I was preaching on promises in a few weeks and I was struggling to write the sermon because I felt like a hypocrite. I really felt God telling me to preach on promises, but how could I stand up here and tell you to have hope for the big when I've been waiting 10 years for God to fulfill the biggest promise he's ever given me? The leader then asked me, even though you've been patient in your waiting, are you still expectant? And I thought for a few seconds, and I said that I didn't know if I was still expectant, and if I didn't know, then I probably wasn't. I realized that I didn't want to write this sermon because I had already lost hope for the big. I had already lost my expectancy that God would keep his promise. Now, I would love to stand up here and say in the last few weeks that that promise has been fulfilled, but it hasn't. That would be great if it had, but it hasn't. I'm still waiting on the promise, but now I don't feel like a hypocrite because I'm not just being patient, I'm staying expectant. 
at small group that night, I thought, you can't preach on promises without preaching on patience. And while that is slightly true, I think the whole truth is that you can't preach on promises without preaching on expectancy. You know how people say that if you look for it, you'll find it? Or once you start thinking about something, you'll see it everywhere? Like when you know you're like looking at buying a new car or you've just bought a new car, then all of a sudden you start seeing that car everywhere. And it's not just because the market has been flooded with that car, but it's because you're more aware of it. You've spent time thinking on it, so it's more obvious when you do see it. I think it's the same with being expectant for our promises. When you start thinking about it, or even better, once you start praying about it, you'll see more of it. Even though my promise hasn't been fulfilled yet, since I prayed with my small group and then continued to pray by myself, I have seen things happen. Small things that I think before I probably would have missed, but I got my expectancy back which meant I was able to see the small things that God was doing that will ultimately lead to the big promise being kept. Believe me, I know that the waiting sucks. And it would be great if God would work on our timeline instead of his sometimes. But, yeah, amen, yeah. But the waiting sucks a lot less when you are wholeheartedly expectant for God to move and believe that he will keep his promises. No word from God will ever fail. So hold on to expectancy this new year. Now, I would love to tell you that as long as you're expectant, then your promise will be fulfilled. But that's not always the case. Sometimes it is, and those times are great. But after going to a small group again the week after, I was reminded of something else. We need to stay expectant, but at the same time, we need to stay obedient. Ooh, no amens to that one. (laughs) While I was at graduation at the end of last year, one of the other interns told me that she felt God was telling me to do something that was part of my promise. I basically told her, thank you so much. There's no way I'll be doing that. I'll take it from here. (laughs) Um, To be honest, it was something that was too scary. It was too vulnerable, and it was just outright awkward. Um, And I really didn't want to do it. So what did I do? I ignored her. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, but um, when you've been talking to someone about something or encouraging them with God's word, God likes to test you on it. So for me, the last few weeks, I've been preparing this message on promises and obedience. So God has been testing me on my promises and obedience. He didn't let me just ignore what my friend had said, because then the same thing was brought up at small group. And my leader told me the exact same thing that the other intern had. Now, I really didn't want to be a hypocrite standing up here this morning. So how could I preach on obedience without first being obedient myself? So I decided to do it. Even if it was scary, even if it was vulnerable, even if it was awkward, I was going to do it. And I did. Yay! It went horribly. I hated every second of it, and it blew up in my face. I found myself questioning God and saying, why would you make me do this if you knew it was going to end this way? Why would you test my obedience if you knew it was going to end badly? Now, I don't have a concrete answer to that question, but I was reminded of times in the Bible that obedience didn't look good. See, obedience in the Bible looked like giving birth in a barn. Obedience in the Bible looked like nearly sacrificing your son. Obedience in the Bible looked like getting sold into slavery by your brothers. Obedience in the Bible looked like dying on a cross. Obedience for me recently has looked like crying in the shower. 
Obedience for me has looked like crying in the car on my lunch break. Obedience for me has looked like losing contact with someone I was so close to for three years. Obedience for me has looked like multiple people messaging me, asking how my obedience went and getting daily reminders that it went badly. Maybe obedience for you looks like leaving your job. Maybe obedience for you looks like moving cities. Maybe obedience for you looks like ending the relationship that you know isn't godly. Maybe obedience for you looks like joining or starting that ministry that you said you would never be a part of. Now, if you've remembered my name this far, you're probably thinking, Chrissy, you're not really selling this whole obedience thing. But I want to remind you that obedience in the Bible also looked like parting the Red Sea. Obedience in the Bible also looked like having a baby when you're too old. Obedience in the Bible also looked like calling life out of dry bones. Obedience in the Bible also looked like the salvation of all humanity. Obedience for me also looks like getting opportunities like this because I was never given the chance back where I was. Obedience for me also looks like making new friends in a new city. Obedience for me also looks like being able to run a youth group again. Obedience for me also looks like living in the same city as one of my best friends for the first time since high school. Maybe obedience for you will look like a promotion at work. Maybe obedience for you will look like a relationship restored. Maybe obedience for you will look like blessings for your family. Maybe obedience for you will look like promises fulfilled. Believe me, after the month I've had, I know that being obedient is not always easy. And sometimes you'll feel like an idiot for even trying. But God has a way of turning things around for good, even when we can't see how that's possible. No word from God will ever fail. So hold on to hope that your obedience won't fail you either. Thank you for listening to this Elam Church Christchurch podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit www.elamchristchurch.org or connect at one of our services every Sunday at 10am.